Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Made for Agriculture podcast. My name's Adam Jones, and we are once again Cameronless here. Uh, he's out uh, of the office today, but we decided to go ahead and sit down and record a podcast. Kind of had everybody else here that that we thought we needed to to get a good message across. Uh, kind of get a good wrap up on on 2022 and um, start to get a good plan for for 2023 ahead. And so we're talking seed today and and kind of seed trends. As we kind of know across the landscape, most folks are are making these choices now or have made these choices already, kind of for next year. And and so just to kind of get some thoughts about that, we've got a couple guests in here that I think are going to be really good, be able to to share some insights. These these folks live it every day. And, uh, and they get to kind of see the, the backside of things that, that most growers and, and folks out in our geography don't necessarily get to see. So with that, I'm going to let these two introduce themselves. Hadley, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I'll go first. So my name is Hadley Swope. Um, I've been here with the team at MFA for just about a year now. So joined back in January of 2022. Um, I actually came from more of a corn background, so um, that's been kind of an interesting switch to switch over to the soybean side. Um, but I am the more soy product manager, so um, handle our entire more soy product portfolio as well as our MFA wheat portfolio. So day to day, I'm pretty much trying to deliver the best products possible to our sales team for them to bring to our customers um, all within our footprint um, in Missouri. So. Um, I'm actually not from Missouri, so I grew up on a farm in southern Indiana. So slowly but surely learning the caveats of Missouri agriculture as yeah. we go through this. It's not that much different. We just have less soil to grow things <laughs> <on>. <laughs> Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> no, appreciate you being here, Hadley. And uh, I'm Sam Piontek. I am the seed specialist for Northeast Missouri um, for MFA. Um, born and raised in Washington, Missouri. Started with MFA May of 2020 as a uh, one of the crop track consultants. Um, with that role, I was Southwest Missouri, Southeast Kansas. Um, that role pretty much consisted of scouting fields and uh, making recommendations to growers what I was seeing in the field day to day. Um, October of 2022, I took this role. So I've been in this role for about a year now. Um, seed specialist for Northeast Missouri, like I mentioned. Um, my role there, um, I support the sales team in all the locations in my territory. Um, my primary role is the rep for more corn, more soy in my territory, um, but pretty much support them in their sales efforts and uh, kind of help them navigate some logistical issues in the planning season and stuff like that. So that is what I do currently. Gotcha. No, appreciate um, appreciate that intro, Sam. Appreciate you being here uh, today for sure as well. And so I think both of you kind of get, both of you have been here at least the entire kind of calendar year up to this point. And so you've kind of seen um, what we've put hybrids through this year, um, maybe Hadley, especially on the soybean side for you. But I know Sam is being a seed specialist. You also get involved in at least the some of the plot work that we do across the state, um, you know, at least the stuff that overlaps you geographically. So uh, what'd you guys kind of see out there? What, what were some of the, the trends of, of 2022 and in, in what you saw as far as our, you know, our, our seed variety trials? I can start. So I will say 
And it, we're, we are still getting some yield data back, sure. so this is just kind of preliminary. But um, I would say yields were slightly lower than what they've been in years past. I just yep. think we had an odd growing season with the lack of rain. Then we got quite a few late season rains. Um, that's at least on the soybean side. Um, corn behaved, I'd say, maybe a little differently. But um, at least from a soybean side, I'd say yields were a little lower, especially as you get down to like the Arkansas, especially that um, – southwestern part of the state near kansas there was not a lot of moisture there so um that's kind of what i was seeing at least from our testing that we put everything through um and we had 17 testing sites so um well we're still learning as we get more back but that's kind of what i've seen at least from a soybean side of things yeah i would uh, like to piggyback on that idea of variability um in my territory this year um so my territory runs north of 70 up to Iowa and then east of Interstate 63 um, out of Columbia. And so this is pretty much an even line, um, split my territory down the middle. Um, the southern half of my territory had uh, some, the early planted corn was nothing to really brag about this year. Um, the, the late May, Early June planted corn is some pretty good stuff. It, it held on and ca- caught some of those late rains. Um, take the beans, and they had some really good beans this year just because of how the rains fell, um, and they really benefited for some of those August rains. Um, you can take that and flip-flop it to northern Missouri. Um, the corn um, was mature, and by the time some of the rain really shut off, so they had a really good corn year up there. Um, but the further north you go, it seems like the, the beans kind of taper off and or really weren't all that impressive this year in some areas. Um, obviously you have some pockets of really produ- productive stuff that caught some spotty rains, but um, we got to see a lot of, especially in my first year, I got to see a lot of products in some very adverse conditions this year um, on top of the adverse soil conditions we already encounter. So yeah, I feel like that was a good year to start looking at our products with a lot of variability. Yeah. Well, and stress, right? Yes. I mean, cause it's, it's easy to look at somebody else's data from somewhere else or, or, or whatever, um, but, but throw it out there in a year that obviously is not ideal. Mm. I mean, we were way too wet early, way too dry through the middle part of the season. All of a sudden it decided to rain again and it did. Um, so yeah, variable and, and lots of stress. You know, I, I think this is kind of why, um, talk about kind of that variability and those weather conditions and how you make recommendations for a grower or help to make kind of recommendations for a grower. Um, I'm going to give you an example, right? Um, you know, North Missouri, it seemed like we were extremely dry kind of in that August, early September timeframe. All of a sudden it started raining again, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, you know, explain how that looks from the soybean variety wise, if I would have planted all three O beans versus all four two beans mm-hmm. um, and, and the importance of, of kind of planting diversity there. Yeah. So it, maturity is something that I, I encourage on soybeans to really um, spread out. And it, we look, look at it as your farm's an investment. We like to spread your risk. Um, and it, it depends on when the rains fell for you, obviously. Yep. yep. Um, but a 3 would have matured a lot sooner, um, would have been trying to fill pods. Um, and if it's if it's hitting pod fill during that dry spell, um, we can start to see less pod fill, obviously. And in some spots where it gets bad enough, we see aborted pods where a 4-2 or later, would have held on a little longer, maybe caught some of those later rains. And, you know, on the same farm this year, you can see the difference between a 3.8 and a 4.2 could have been 6.8 bushel yep. just based on the maturity at the time of those rainfalls. So that's why on the soybean yep. side, um, just looking at stress, we also, that's why we encourage some adversity there. Yep. And, and I think that 
that really showed up this year uh, on, you know, not necessarily even, even on beans planted at the same date that were maybe different varieties, but also planting date. True. Right. So, I mean, this, this is one of those years that if you'd have waited till later to plant some of those longer maturing varieties, they probably did even better. Mm -hmm. Um, just because, you know, again, they were in the right, right life stage to get, to get the soil moisture and growth conditions that are conducive, you know, to putting on beans. Exactly. Exactly. And corn, corn's no different. Um, you know, it seems more and more on the corn side though, guys, they don't harp so much on relative maturity. They just want something that's going to yield, but we still try to encourage a, a spread out portfolio there. Um, but it's the exact same issue depending on whether you're heat at pollination, where your pollination window is at, heat stress, drought stress. Yep. Um, it's, it, it carries over. And, and exactly. Even breaking that up just a few days, one side or the other, um, can make a big difference on, you know, when you catch a nice rain and, and, you know, when it's 99 degrees with the wind blowing 25 miles an hour and hasn't rained in four weeks. So just kind of breaking that up a little bit, uh, can, can make, can be a big deal. Um, so as we start talking about, kind of selecting varieties and um, different traits and everything from uh, all that stuff that Sam was just talking about, Hadley. Um, can you kind of go through, because you kind of see a lot of the other sides of this as well in in that you see a lot of these varieties before, before Sam sees them, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of walk me through what it looks like for you kind of looking at it, looking at a genetic portfolio and then kind of bringing things forward and, and say, I want to look at that one closer and closer yet. To the point of I actually want to put that kind of commercially in a bag. Can you kind of walk us through that process? Yeah, absolutely. So um, to give some background to kind of how things make their way into the portfolio. So um, I meet with all the major U.S. genetic suppliers um, pretty much this time of year up until mid-December. So um, kind of those first few weeks of December are pretty packed with meetings with them. Um, pretty much we've worked with them for several years now. So um, in that relationship, we kind of share you know gaps we've seen in our portfolio places we think we can improve and or feedback that we hear from the field from folks um, like our seed specialists, like in Sam's role, um, either products that aren't quite living up to the expectation and or um, sometimes genetics truly just get old and start to show their age. So um, after we've had a line for a couple of years, pretty much between all of our genetic suppliers we use, there's usually something bigger and better um, that's come about within those few years of product development. So after I meet with those suppliers, um, we pretty much just go through our yield data from our own testing here at MFA. So we test um, at 17 different locations in the state of Missouri internally, um, really to see how our products perform in different pockets of the state, um, any products that are really lacking, um, and then try to kind of find those holes and fill in the gaps. So after I meet with them, they pretty much bring their latest and greatest things that would be relevant for us here in our footprint. Um, And they share everything from agronomic packages um, benefits that would kind of take our portfolio a step up in that light, as well as yield data. So we're not only looking at yield data, we're also looking at ways to improve um, our product portfolio agronomically as well. So after we kind of go through that, I sit down and make my decision of what we want to test. So we'll order maybe one to two bags of seed from these companies um, as designated test seed. And then we'll put them through our rigorous testing and our trials. Um, and then kind of this time of year is when I sit and review all the data and kind of see where we can make improvements. Um, if there's a new line out that, you know, performs significantly better throughout the state than something we already have in our lineup. Um, and that's both on the enlist and the extend flex side. So um, 
we did carry straight extend Roundup Ready to extend beans up until this year um, and kind of moved away from those and have pretty much replaced all those products with extend flex lines. So that's kind of the short and easy um, <laughs> explanation of how I do it. But right. Um, so, I mean, do you get to see much um, from those genetic suppliers? Like kind of walk me through like what kind of the picture you get from them as far as making those? I mean, is it just a bunch of numbers and yields next to them or do you get a little more in-depth information than that? Yeah. So a lot of the reps I work with work on a multi-state basis or a certain portion of the country. So it's also interesting to sit with them and hear upcoming trends that they're hearing feedback from other companies they might work with other than us. Um, other products that they've had for a while that they've seen success in other pockets of the U.S. that are um, relative to working here in Missouri as well. They do share yield data in that, you know, as you'd expect, is pretty much like in an Excel right. format. But the cool thing is, is they test nationwide so they can kind of break it down state by state or, you know, territory by territory and kind of show us how it will perform not only on a national scope, but here in our footprint in Missouri as well. And then taking a look at the agronomic packages, um, before products come to us, they're pretty much in the product pipeline for five to seven years. So okay. breeders have been looking at them for multiple years at this point. Um, and each company tests these diseases different ways. I know one of them we work with, um, they have a field over in Illinois that they test for soybean cyst nematodes in, and they've had it on a soybean soybean rotation for 40 years now. So pretty much any race of soybean cyst nematodes that will exist anywhere in the U.S., they can test for there in that field. So right. um, it's pretty interesting to hear the backside of those since I'm not a breeder. Yeah. Um, but they yeah. have some pretty interesting in insight when they bring those products to me. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense to have an environment like that where you're like, yep, we definitely have it here mm -hmm. to the max. Basically, we're managing four nematodes at that point and then yeah. plant stuff in there and see how it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. If you think about it completely oppositely from a grower's perspective, <laughs> yes. that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Strictly for testing purposes. <laughs> yeah. So then I know, you, like I said, you like to bring those in and, and put those at a lot of our kind of our internal test sites. Um, you, you said kind of five to seven years up to that point. Then how long do you like to look at them in those plots typically before you would want to see them move forward commercially? Typically, we look at them for a year to two years. So um, if it's a... There are rare cases where we bring on what we call a first look product. So um, we had quite a few of these years this past year as we transformed our portfolio from Brown and Brady to Extend Beans to Extendflex. Um, we had 11 first look Extendflex products. And really what we're doing there um, is we are testing and producing a product simultaneously. So just taking a look at the breeder data um, you know, ahead of time, it looks very promising. And from what the breeders have seen and what our reps have seen, um, they all agree that it'll probably be a great choice for our geography. So we'll go ahead and grow a little seed stock, look at the actual testing results from our own trials and see if it did live up to the expectation. Then it kind of puts us ahead of the game and product advancement because they already have that seed stock grown. Sometimes there's a little leftover for packaging just a small amount um, to kind of start early product adoption. But that's really only on an as needed basis that we do that. But okay. um just plain test seed. I think this year I tested 60 different products in our trials um, that aren't already in our portfolio. So quite a few different maturity ranges and different platforms that we take a look at every year to make sure we are putting the best products out there. Okay. And then once you actually decide, yep, this is something we definitely want to look, move forward with, we're going to produce this commercially. How long does that variety typically last before you have replaced it? Well, right now we have a variety that's hung on for 
three years now, and that is pretty much unheard of right now okay. um, in the soybean market. It's Things are ever-changing, um, and the rate of genetic gain has truly caught up on both the Enlist platform and the Extinflux platform. So um, with what we're seeing now, things are ever-changing and staying pretty competitive. So for us, I'd say the sweet spot is probably about two to three years, um, okay. especially as we bring on really robust lines that stand the test of time. But mm-hmm. um, it's not the time to fall in love with the soybean, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So, I mean, I guess what's in the pipeline is just that much better. I mean, is that kind of the process beside, um, because I think, you know, folks plant something and like it and then literally rotationally in that same field may never plant that same hybrid again that they really like there. Yeah. And I like, that's kind of, you know, when we talk about rate of genetic gain, um, these parent lines with these trait platforms added in truly just keep getting stronger and stronger. The more, I guess, robust these breeding programs get um like for instance uh with the stuff we produce that we sell out east um with our more soy portfolio out there we're still in the process of transitioning from some roundup ready to extend beans to some extend flex out there mm-hmm. we're here we did it pretty quickly um but with those later varieties the breeding just hasn't quite caught up on a lot of those rms um and some of those transitions from just a Roundup Ready to extend bean to an extend flux product of the same maturity, there's a 20 bushel difference yield wise. So yeah. um, I really think that there's an advantage. And as we kind of get further down the line, I think we're just going to keep seeing both the yield advantage and an agronomic advantage. I see. What do you, what's your perspective on some of that, Sam, from the, from the field? You know, I know you work a little more directly with, with growers than, than Hadley does. Um, you know, I can just, I guess I can kind of picture how some of these conversations can go. Well, yeah. You know, right. Yeah. Um, I can put my grumpy grower hat on if you want me to. <laughs> yep. Go right ahead. Uh, but, go right ahead. <laughs> but uh, I mean, honestly, though, walk me through that process because I'm sure people fall in love with things and they get a little disappointed when that's not yep. there anymore. Yep. I, they certainly do fall in love with things. And I understand it. Um, you know, they, they're playing with their livelihood. Yeah. Playing for sure. Playing, uh, planting these varieties. So. Um, but like she said, you know, when we research variety, we're not doing anybody any justice by keeping a subpar product on the line. Um, but no, those conversations go exactly how you think they go. You know, you bring a seed quote out to the farm, you know, you just talked to the guy last week harvesting, you know, 75, 80 bushel beans. He wants that variety again. Well, we don't have it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it, 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 it helps a lot with MFA and, you know, some of the, the, bond or some of the uh, partnerships we have throughout my selling territory anyway that um we really build up that trust with those guys and they're gonna hopefully trust our word and when we're switching them and stuff like that Um, but people would definitely fall fall in love with varieties and it makes some of those conversations tougher um but it it we're not the only ones doing it it's a revolving door in the soybean market so um i know i'm not the only one having those conversations with growers but it can be tough sometimes um, but we do have some staple products that have been around for a few years that people see the value in our line and they definitely see the value in what we bring to the table. So that makes some of those conversations go easier. Yeah. And, and it almost, I feel like some, to some extent, um, comes full circle back to our original kind of stress discussion and how there was so much variability in planting conditions and timing and maturity groups that either hit or don't hit yep. on certain years. And so it's it's hard to take that same variety and kind of extrapolate it to next year's weather yeah. and say, heck, that may be the worst one next year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there um, were some growers, you know, if they would, <laughs> if they were going to plan on the year they had last year, 
they probably wouldn't farm again. Yeah. <laughs> or vice versa. Vice yeah. versa. So, yeah. Yeah, you, you exactly know, you can't right. carry as easy. I mean, as there's, there's some reassurance that comes with knowing you plant a variety in a field, but also there's a bunch of different variables that are coming to play next year that will not be. Yeah. That we don't even, yeah, we don't even so. see. Yep. That's exactly right. So <clears throat> I think we've kind of covered that pretty well on kind of how we, we bring a product forward. Um, so aside from just an Excel sheet of a bunch of product numbers and yields, um, what do you see? And we can cover the soybean side kind of first, uh, Sam, as far as what is a grower looking for? I mean, obviously, I, you know, I think you could cover yield if you want to, that, that I, I think is fairly obvious. Yes. But what else kind of are growers looking for from a, from a product line? In, in my territory, um, I would say 80% of it revolves around the fact that their soil is very variable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can go from gumbo to a, a secondary hill type soil in the same field. Yeah. Um, so we gotta have, we have to have, uh, we have to have varieties that hold up to a bunch of different soil conditions. That's, that's number one without a doubt. Cause I have very few uniform fields in my territory. Um, so that's kind of where I steer, whether it be new customers or customers that we've had for a long time, they gotta have a, a consistent product that they can grow in a bunch of different soil conditions and rely on it. So, so long as the rain falls. Yeah. Yeah. So Hadley explained to me how you test for something like what he just described. Yeah. I've <laughs> <laughs> got all the answers. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so pretty much I'd say a major thing we look at, especially late season when I look at seven plots is going to be standability. Um, yeah. So a lot of times we see stuff lodge um, that sometimes breeders don't see just because like Sam said, we do have a lot of variable soil types here. Um, so sometimes a breeder isn't going to see that off the bat, um, especially when we have 17 different locations for us to look at it. We can really see how it performs on different soil types and in different pockets um, of Missouri that kind of behave differently. Um, I'd also say stress tolerance is a big one that at least I look at because I know that's a big area of concern mm -hmm. for a lot of Missouri growers. Um, so we have quite a few products, um, that I would say are more so like our tougher, more stress, you know, can handle stress type of bean. Um, it's great to have a bunch of those. We don't have a lot of products in our portfolio that are more so like niche products mm -hmm. that are, I would say a little more temperamental, but we try to stay away from those just because like Sam said, quite a bit of Missouri is very variable. Yeah. I would say we don't have large landscapes of the same soil type. Yeah. Really anywhere mm -hmm. in the state. And there's a few pockets, you know, you can find some irrigated ground where you can you know, push things a little bit, get a little more niche product out there. But um, yeah, soil type and stress go hand in hand to some degree um, and how that product's going to handle stress on those acres. So that's number one for me. Gotcha. So on the corn side of things, I'm assuming you're fairly, I mean, I know we're probably going to have the same discussion of standability, but to walk me through some of the other things that folks on the corn side might be looking for. Yeah. Variability is another one there. Um, a trend I see more of, um, and like I said, just like anything in agriculture, it kind of depends on who you're dealing with, but, um, there's the conversation really revolves around yield. Um, it's not, you know, with equipment, the way it is today, guys aren't as concerned with spacing out, you know, 104 to 116 day variety because they plant, they have small machines that they have to space out their harvest um on on the bigger scale mm -hmm. um there's definitely some of those guys out there but um i you know it seems to me that more conversations i have with guys if it if it yields and you can 
and they have it in their mind that it's going to yield, they're going to plant it. And they'll, they'll plant three or four different varieties that are the same relative maturity um, if, they, if they're convinced it's yielding. So on their place. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of the shift I've seen since I, I've changed um, since I, when I was growing up on our own place um, and the kind of conversations I heard some of the you know, guys would knock on my dad's seed door, <laughs> trying to sell him seed or some of the neighbors and they'd space their harvest out with longer or longer spreads of relative maturities. And I don't have that conversation as much these days as a trend yeah. I see in corn. Yeah. I think people have kind of honed in on what works for them mm-hmm. and kind of their operation. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Hey, if I'm not having dry down issues or if I'm not having these kind of issues, they seem to be high yielding varieties. Mm-hmm. Why do I need to spread it out? If you know, um, yep. if I get something that's kind of working. Yep. And if I get something standing that stands really well, I can, I can prioritize, prioritize beans first. Um, yep. and you know, there's a lot, there's a lot more corn acres still standing today. Oh yeah. And there are soybeans. Yep. You can so, definitely see people doing that. Um, that standability is one, kind of one of those funny things though. Um, is that <laughs> sometimes it seems like the varieties that do lodge or can lodge, uh, can be some pretty high yielders mm-hmm. as well. Or mm-hmm. and, and I don't know if that's something that you see, but sometimes it's like, ah, those darn soybeans went down and then you go out there and they're 72 or something. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's hard to complain, right? <laughs> that they're, that they fell over. Yeah. Um, somewhat similar on the corn side. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, um, rode in the combine this year on some corn that was down, that was still running 225 and we were leaving a bunch of corn on the ground. And so it's, it's hard to complain at that point and say, boy, yeah. that corn's terrible because yes. it fell over, yes. you know? Um, I'm sure, I'm sure plenty of people still complain about that. They do. I guess. They do. Um, but you kind of see my point where yeah. sometimes it's a balance between mm-hmm. yield and sustainability. Yeah. yeah. And it, that all goes down like on corn. Um, it, it depends on how that variety metabolizes its stock. And if some of those nutrients end up in the, they put more of those nutrients toward yield at the end of its life cycle or. Um, a, a stronger standing product is not going to metabolize that stock as much. So. Right. Right. Um, no, that's, that's definitely an interesting one. That, and one you can see in residue decomp for even the next entire year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so looking forward, it seems like we, um, I feel like we saw more wheat go out this year across, especially North Missouri. I guess I haven't mm-hmm. been as well traveled this fall as probably what I should have been. Um, but I feel like we've seen more wheat go out than we have in quite a few years. Um, assuming that's going to turn into some double crop soybeans next year. What do you guys look for? And I don't really care which, whoever uh, wants to start this one, but kind of what are you guys looking for on the double crop soybean side of things? This may be something that guys haven't done for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what kind of decisions need to be made there and, and how do you look at that differently than selecting kind of first crop soybeans? When, when I, um, first select a variety there um, to make a recommendation to somebody. I look at early early season vigor, something that's going to get up, get started, um, get a canopy moving. Um, you know, this year in some of those areas where we had wheat, we planted double crop soybeans and they didn't they didn't swell it for three weeks as dry as it was. Um, but we still had some fields canopy. Um, so you, got, you I, I really like a variety that's going to get up, get moving um, and cover, cover some rows so we can be efficient with our um, herbicide program. Yeah, I would definitely second what Sam said. Um, I think your early season vigor um, and those type of ratings are really going to be telling of how the soybean is going to perform on your double crop acres. I think another important thing to look at is if it is an STS tolerant bean. Um, that's another thing. If if residuals are a big concern after you have a wheat crop, I think having an STS bean is really just 
almost like an insurance policy you kind of keep in your back pocket with those double crop beans. Um, but I definitely think something also with a robust agronomic package, not something that's really going to not be able to handle anything that's either carried over from the year prior um, and or any residuals, things like that, that may be left over from that wheat crop. But um, being on the wheat side too, I definitely agree that uh, quite a bit of wheat went out yeah. compared to prior years. Yeah. Well, I think when you just, I mean, that's a simple economics thing. When you look at, at price now versus kind of what it has been for the last you know, kind of bouncing around at for the last decade or so. Um, also, you know, there's crop insurance changes and things like that to encourage some of this. When you look at our uh, soybean portfolio as a whole, are there any, like, I know some, those numbers, once you kind of put them out there commercially, can go in wherever. I mean, are there any, like, do you have, like, specific varieties that you kind of hang on to or, like, hey, this is a great double crop bean. We've looked at this one this way. Anything like that? Yeah, I so for a lot of our products, um, in my head, I have a list of them that are place anywhere products. Um, they just perform well. I mean, you could fill your planter up, and if you have to bounce around from field to field um, in a lot of parts of our state, they're going to perform well. Those I like to hang on to, um, especially if it's a new customer. And sometimes, you know, you don't really know all the nuances of someone's operation yet, especially someone like Sam, who's just getting to know a customer and know their management practices, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I really like those kind of place anywhere beans. And we do have a both on the Enlist and Extendflex side, quite a few of those, um, those tried and true products. I also, um, I don't know, there are quite a few, like there's some that are really gone SDS. There's some that are STS beans that I'll look at um, for double crop scenarios, things like that. Um, it really, each product kind of has its own character and its own, I guess, in my mind, kind of way it behaves. So when folks call us and need a product recommendation, um, at least from the field, sometimes it's pretty easy to narrow things down once you kind of talk through what the grower is truly looking for in a bean. Um, if they're looking for that place anywhere bean, something a little more niche, um, if they have a history of a certain disease in that field, they need to combat things like that. So um, in my head, I kind of segment them out like that, but that might just be me since I'm... <laughs> Yeah. in it every day mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no I, I would say i have a handful of products that go out on 90 percent of the acres that are double crop um you know I, I really just try and stick away from you know there's some varieties that if they're if they're not going to handle the stress as well they may not be they may not end up as tall they may pile a little short to the ground so we i, I have those earmarked and we kind of stick with stay away from those but just like she said i have i have a i have a handful of products that i really stick with on the soybean side on double crop um because, you know, it's it, it's it's definitely a growing a growing practice, and you know, you see, you see a lot of drills drug out at the barn that hadn't moved in a few years. So um, <laughs> we're getting we're getting we're moving that way. We're going to see some more double crop beans go out this year for sure. So yeah, I was just going to say, I, yeah, I think it'll be a kind of a big year for that. But I mean, honestly, you you mentioned things that that I would also be looking for in a first crop soybean. I mean, mm -hmm. that I think that weed control thing is is something that that we can agree in the soybean line of things is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, and that early season, I mean, crop canopy, right. It's mm -hmm. a race to crop canopy and, um, you know, I, it's a, it's a fine line to walk. You know, it's like you want a bean that doesn't get tall and falls over, but you want one that gets tall enough mm -hmm. to block all the sunlight. So you don't grow a giant patch of water hemp. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so exactly. It's like, it seems like one year you can swing that teeter one side and you can totter the other way pretty easily, um, as well. So kind of while we're on that, um, side of things on the uh, herbicide platform. That's a big deal in, in the soybean world. You mentioned kind of moving things over from 
uh, you know, roundup ready extend to to extend flex. Um, we've also, you know, obviously in the last, if you want to look back three or four years here, made a big enlist push, obviously. Yep. What's that kind of look like now? I know that, that so much of that that breakdown happens um, kind of on the local geography scale and in different areas of the state. Um, but but from that aspect, just kind of give me your overall thoughts from from kind of those of those trait platforms, the direction it's heading and kind of where kind of the big advances in genetics have happened. Yeah, I so I think we're at an interesting point with both of those platforms. Um I think a lot more people have gotten comfortable with Extinflux than they have been in previous years. Just since it's been around, they've gotten a little more used to it. And with the switch that we've had from straight Extend Beans to an Extinflux platform. Um, on the Enlist side, I think things have looked really good, at least from a more soy perspective for the past two years. Um, and I think as we kind of find those sweet spots of products that work really well in those different RMs, we just continue to build upon that success. I think Extinflex was a little rough out of the gate for a lot of people. And I think kind of as we start to build upon that and the genetics have kind of caught up on that platform, um, I think we're pretty much at a standpoint where they're a yield parity. Um, in our trials, we really don't see, you know, the Enlist is five bushels better than Extinflex, anything like that. Um, it's truly come down to a preference or what guys have gotten used to, um, at least what I've talked to. I think... In a lot of Sam's neck of the woods, it's going to be mostly enlist beans that we sell, at least from an MFA perspective, but it's almost completely opposite the further south you move, um, like down towards the boot heel, towards that area. Mm -hmm. They're more steered toward an extend flex bean. Um, I think yield-wise, it's just going to keep getting more and more competitive because each of those platforms and the genetic providers who provide those are trying to create a difference in the advantage of both platforms. So I think they're both trying to outdo each other yield wise. Um, but truly in the state of Missouri, um, I, I think Enlist has shown itself to be a little more popular, at least from what we sell um, in our portfolio, I think reflects that. But there still is quite a bit of Extinflex business to be had in the state of Missouri. I mean, I, I yes, I, I agree with 100% of everything you said. And I feel like a lot of that Enlist switchover has happened because of what you just said. Yeah. Because what, like, why take that extra risk on, on herbicide activity and all those kind of things yeah. if it literally is a toss up, which is what you just said. Yeah. And I think that's where most folks are at. Yeah. Um, exactly. I mean, that's, that's, kind of, that's, that's popular. I mean, you, and there's a, there's a good assurance factor there with Enlist and Liberty that you can tank mix them. Yep. Um, and really um, put a, another mode of action out there to really get some escapes. Um, there's, there's a, there's a good, you know, people like the idea of that. Um, I would say on the more soys, um, our, our brand in my territory, we're better than 85% E3s on where sales numbers lie. Um, but you know, I was just on a farm the other day that, you know, I'm, there's Liberty link beans on the farm, extend flex beans, E3s. Um, so there's, there's still some variety out there and it, it's very pocketed where our extend flex, um, sales are at. Um, got, there's still a few guys that we lot kind of think on, think about what their neighbors are spraying and think about, you know, what, what, what chemicals got on the neighbor going out in the neighborhood, yep. um, you know, cause they don't want to get dinged or they don't want to ding someone else's beans or something like that. Sure. So sure. Yep. Yep. I absolutely could, could see those situations. Um, man, honestly, that probably happens in the boot heel too, whether yeah. those guys want to admit it or not. I mean, that's, in, that's insurance to some degree, Absolutely. Uh, you know, that extend flex trait. Mm -hmm. So, 
Um, anything in the pipeline on, on soybeans um, from a, you know, either from genetic package, from, you know, kind of a herbicide package, disease traits, anything you kind of see coming in the next two or three years or somewhat foreseeable future? Yeah. So I think the big thing that everyone is kind of waiting on or waiting to see what truly happens is going to be the HT4s um, that are coming down the pipeline from bears specifically. Um, so that'll be interesting to add another mode of action since that hasn't been seen here in quite a while. Um, I think the other thing is just little things. So the big thing is that a certain race of soybean cyst nematode resistance has been used for years and years. Um, slowly but surely, as I'm talking to different reps and they all have their different opinions on how it performs, but um, I know a peaking source is kind of becoming more popular among soybeans, which is um, some folks say there's a yield drag once that trait is introduced. Others say that there isn't. So there is kind of a mixed bag of emotions. Um, but that is one thing kind of as we see soybean cyst nematodes become a bigger problem um, and that r specific race that's been used for quite some time um, is kind of starting to get some resistance. So I think that's one interesting that's kind of interesting thing that's kind of coming down the pipeline. Um, but I think we're truly just going to continue to see an increased rate of genetic gain from both these enlist suppliers and Extendflex suppliers as they try to differentiate each other um, right. yield-wise and kind of create that significant gap to where people will lean one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, do you have you do you see anything different on the on the road, Sam? As far as and you might also just for our listeners sake um i think everybody knows what she's talking about when she says ht4 soybeans but one of you guys might just kind of elaborate on that so an ht4 soybean will be roundup ready um you can and then you'll be able to spray your enlist your liberty and your extend over the okay. top of it um yeah. so it'd be kind of think of an e3 bean just adding extend to it right vice versa an extend flex bean adding enlist resistance to, or capabilities on that one right um there's a lot of questions about that one. Um, you hear mixed emotion or get mixed information on when it's actually going to get here. Um, but yeah, until we get there, it's just kind of a standoff between E3 right. and Extendflex, it seems to be. Right. I think is yeah, it just, and I guess more specific to your geography, Sam, um, just what I'm more familiar with, like you said, 85% uptake of Enlist, and I feel like that's just all risk mitigation. Mm -hmm. mitigation. And so I feel like until that project product stops working um i don't know that you add a whole lot by adding the, the sure. ability to spray sure. i mean they, they moved away from extend because they weren't comfortable using it mm -hmm. um because because it moves around the landscape you know yeah. um and and so i think going going back the other direction is going to take some major product performance issues that that i haven't, haven't seen you know and i haven't seen that either um but you know there there, there could be some something to be said for being able to go in with extend if you know it works really well in your place early and then you still have Absolutely. your full rates uh, you, you still have your full labeled rates of enlist and liberty mm -hmm. to use um later on if need be if you get in a tight situation with some weeds getting out of hand so absolutely no i completely agree i mean we're we can sit around and talk about current conditions but um you know who knows what what comes in the coming years is from a weed resistance um aspect we may be you know searching for that extra mode of action next mm -hmm. year, year after or whenever. Yeah. yeah. So as far down the line as possible. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope so. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, that's, uh, we know how that works. Um, what about on the corn side? And I, I know you're so mostly soybeans at this point. 
Hadley, but you guys seeing it, what do you see on, you know, kind of on the horizon on the corn side? I, I think the biggest thing to kind of come down the line is going to be the adoption of short corn, um, which is just a tool to truly help with standability. Um, so from a corn perspective and Sam might have something different since I'm not in the corn side necessarily every day, but um, I think short corn is going to be a game changer for a lot of folks, especially the further west you move in the U.S. Um, I know even here in Missouri, we see 60, 70 mile per hour winds oh, yeah. um, that cause a lot of green snaps. So I think that short corn is going to be a game changer for a lot of those producers. Um, but that I think that's the biggest thing on the horizon from what I see. Yeah. Yeah. And, ter- and then, I mean, you obviously you always have different um, stacks on it's, you know, insecticide resistance and stuff like that coming down the pipeline. But um, short corns, don't know when it's going to be here, but, you know, guys in my territory, they don't really harp. Their sustainability is a part of it, but also fungicide and insecticide application over the top with yeah. the ground rig is something that I get a lot of, you know, that's something they're looking forward to. Um, you know, they've, they like the idea of having more water pushed through with a ground rig or something like that. Sure. Being able to cover their corn again with a ground rig is something that's reassuring to them. Yep. Yeah, but standability is also a big one. So yeah, on that and um, you know if you, if one of you guys doesn't know that's that's fine. But just kind of something I thought of. But, I mean, does one of the genetic suppliers kind of own um, with restrictive rights that short corn thing, or is that going to be kind of an across the platform? I I've actually worked with short corn in the past um, with my role previous to MFA. I was was with Bear, so we actually had short corn. It is the native trait. Um, that they're using right now. So that does not need an approval or anything like that. Um, But that will be, I'm pretty sure, exclusively from Bayer. Um, I think as you move further down the line and they isolate that gene and introduce it into these corn products, um, I think that's still seven to eight years down the line. They keep delaying short corn. So when (laughs) I worked with it a couple of years ago, they said it was going to be out within four years. And we're pretty much there and it's not out. So right. um, I think as they get the transgenic trait um, and introduce it into these lines that they're bringing to the market, I think it'll be a while, but we will see more people. Yeah. Have them. More other companies yes. pull, be able to pull that trade in. Yes. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So, well, guys, what did we, what did we miss today, Sam? And we didn't cover um, something that you've heard, you know, kind of being on the road recently here that, that we didn't cover anything like that. Nothing sticks out to me. Any advice for folks as far as selecting seed trends or, you know, seed varieties and those kind of things for next year that, that we maybe didn't cover today? Buy early and buy often. <laughs> <laughs> well, I only need to plant at one time, I hope. It's a good sales pitch. Yeah, that was that was great. <laughs> That's I, what I'm here to do. That, That's what I'm here to do. <laughs> that was great. Um, <clears throat> Hadley, what about you? Anything um, that we didn't cover that that kind of is going on, or something that you've heard rumblings of in the in the soybean industry, um, and then kind of any thoughts for moving forward in the next couple of years? I think, as far as what what I've heard, what I know, I think we covered it. Um, I think as we get further down the line. Um, at least with our more soy portfolio, I think it's going to be interesting to really find our pockets of products that really work well for us. Um, we have some great products out there, but we're truly always looking for the latest and greatest thing. 
Um, so I think as we move further down the line, we're just going to continue to get better and stronger um, with a lot of these platforms that we carry. So um, I would say as we transition away from products, um, like I said earlier, don't fall in love with the soybean variety because yep. if a new product came out on the market, chances are there's a significant both yield and or agronomic reason why it was brought mm -hmm. on. So um, I'd say that's probably going to be the biggest takeaway here in the next couple of years as a lot of folks try and build up these enlist and extend flex portfolios. Yep. Perfect our craft and serve our, serve our growers the best of our abilities. I mean, working on these plots and getting more and more data sets and, um, you know, building that portfolio up to where it needs to be. Um, so that seems to be a never ending thing. But, no, yeah, no, because I mean, that, that only ends when you think you've actually accomplished a, a yield plateau or whatever, yeah. I yeah. mean, which I don't, I don't know anybody's ready to admit that. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. But, well, Hadley, Sam, I very much appreciate the time you guys gave me this afternoon as far as coming in to sit down and record this. Certainly appreciate all that you guys do uh, for everybody and being able to share your thoughts and everything. So thanks for coming in. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening as well. And we will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.